This is the Ask a Death Doula podcast, a platform of free education on how to have the best end-of-life experience possible by knowing how to live your best life now. With experienced hospice, oncology, and wellness nurse, Suzanne B. O'Brien. Hi everyone and welcome to this edition of Ask a Deaf Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. Today we have a great guest named Alua Arthur. And Alua, you know, she's been on the circuit now for doing end of life. I am privileged to be on two professional committees with her and we'll kind of talk about that during our podcast today. But before we get started, let me just tell you a little bit about Alua Arthur. She is a deaf doula an attorney, and the founder of Going With Grace, an end-of-life planning organization that exists to support people as they answer the question, what must I do to be at peace with myself so that I may live presently and die peacefully? From private end-of-life consultations and public education about death to online coursework to train death doulas, She is tirelessly committed to bringing awareness to death and dying. She passionately believes considering death can inspire the way people live. A jewelry addict, Alua is also a life lover, donut fanatic, and developing nation enthusiast. I love it. She is inspired by life, the little joys we can find even in dark times the freedom of authenticity, and the power of the word yes. Welcome, yes. Alua Arthur. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Yeah, me too. I'm always excited to chat with you. Um, so Alua, one of the biggest things that I'm always asked, and, and I'm sure you are as well, is death. Why death? You know, What was your path that led you into this space that's so sacred, by the way? Were you around a lot of death? Um, just share your story of how you got to be this, you know, on this platform of uh, being a representative of death and dying. It was such a serendipitous dance with death, a serendipitous meeting, because I had never really spent much time thinking about my death or the death of the people that I loved. Even though for all intents and purposes, I was generally somebody that had big level conversations. I'd majored in philosophy in college, Mm. but death was not a, was not even one of my focuses at all. I was practicing Mm. law at the Legal Aid Foundation of Los Angeles, doing nonprofit stuff mostly, um, and also some poverty law. So I was working with communities that needed some extra support Mm. and didn't have access to a lawyer themselves. And I had gotten terribly depressed doing Mm. that work. It was less about the work. It was more about my life. Something wasn't quite right. Something wasn't clicking, but I didn't know what. And so I thought it was my job. And going to work had become a major source of pain and contention. And I mean, yeah, I don't do mornings very well anyway. And I had to be there at nine. And I was miserable. I was miserable. But more than miserable, I was also clinically depressed. Mm. So after I took a leave of absence from work, and went on a trip and I ended up in Cuba after a bunch of serendipity. And in Cuba, I was trying to get to a bus one morning and I was running down the street and a car almost hit me along the way. Mm. And I slammed my hands on the hood of the car and I was like, oh my gosh, girl, get it together. Don't die out here in these streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, made it to the bus stop in time, 
got on the bus and ended up sitting next to a young woman who was 36 years old. She was German mm-hmm. and she had uterine cancer. Mm. We started talking about her disease. We started talking about her life. And through talking about her life, I decided to start asking her about her death. Mm-hmm. To this day, I don't know where I got the balls to do that or why I thought that'd be a good idea. Or mm-hmm. it, we had created some permission though. You know, yes, we were yes. already going there. And in talking to her about her her disease, I asked if she had any professional support. And she had a psychiatrist through her oncology program, but they were talking to and working with her about living with disease. Nobody was talking to her about dying from this disease. So it, it surprised me. It also made me really sad. And it also kind of made me angry. This was the first real conversation she'd had about the possible end of her life from this illness. And I was like, why aren't we supporting people better? She can't be the only person with uterine cancer. I know that there's many of them. And why don't we have support for people? We talked a lot about what would be left undone in in her life if she were to die from the disease. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the first times that I began to see how death creates a hard, a deadline. I, I never saw that before, but deadline, death <laughs> creates a deadline in our lives. Yes, it does. Absolutely. Because yes, after does. that, there's no more work. There's nothing else to be done. Correct. And right. so in thinking about her death, I thought, wow, well, if she dies, she won't have done all these things. So we started talking about that with her. We talked about it for myself. Mm-hmm. I looked around the bus. I was like, he's going to die. He's going to die. She's going to die. Everybody outside 100%, is going to die. 100% guaranteed. Everybody's going to die. Mm -hmm. Why are we not talking about the fact that we're going to die? Why are we not living like we're actually dying? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And something, it wasn't an aha moment of any means. It was just more like, oh, okay, well, I can do that. I can definitely do that. And that's when it really began. Um, We ended up riding the bus together for 14 hours and eventually got off the bus together. And then I learned that when I was in the town earlier, when the car had almost hit me in the street, she had been in that car. So it was really just like a crash course. We were going to meet anyway. We were going to have this discussion anyway. I was always going to do this work anyway. It was just a matter of time. Uh, Shortly after that, I came back to the States, like really inspired and excited. And then, yeah, yeah, very excited. Uh, And I remember talking to somebody at a party, I'm going to work in death. And she was just like, I said, I'm going to support people who are dying. She said, aren't we all dying? And I was like, oh, yeah, we are. And just that tone of voice, too. I was way too excited for the inquiry. <laughs> but it's so true. It's like we're living with blinders on. Okay, so a couple of questions for you. Yeah. So how long ago was that that you were in Cuba? Six years. Okay. Almost seven years now. Okay. Um, yeah. Lots of stuff was happening at that time. And this woman, she was from Cuba or from somewhere else? German. She was German. She was German. She I'm was sorry. I probably that. And did they, and I assume this answer is going to be no, did they tell her a prognosis No. or they were just focusing on keep it going? Keep it going. So here's, here's what I'll share with you. And you know, this from your experience with this woman and probably from other people you talked about now from my background, a lot of people know that I'm a, a nurse who's worked in oncology, cancer care, and also hospice care is that that is the norm is that nobody talks about the prognosis and the, what would happen if we didn't scramble. And what bothers me the most is that we don't, we don't put it all out on the table and let the person weigh in on what is right for them. Meaning that if you have X cancer and if you choose Y treatment, 
then these statistics show that you will live two to three years, you know, like this is all really important information for people to choose things. But the other side of the coin is we need to live with the awareness that death is our friend. Not only our friend, it's like, I, you know, I, I do a lot of obviously talks like you do. And I said, the only way to truly live is to befriend death and know that that will one day be part of the journey. And it can, it can go well. It can. And we can, it can go use really, it. It can go really well. Yeah. So kudos and beautiful. And I love that. And it's so funny because you're at a party and someone says, well, we're all dying. And you're like, oh my God. And we are. But you know, right now we're pretending it's optional. Yeah. And the fact totally. that we don't, we don't even talk about it when people are facing a serious illness or 95 years old. Um, it's, it's frightening. And so we're bringing this back to be a normal, again, part of the experience and a, and a part of the sacred life journey. It's one of the beautiful moments in this journey as birth, as you know, other things are. So great. So have you been around death yourself? Have you? I have. Yeah. I have. I mean, not only through my work, but like after I decided that I was going to be doing this work with my life, my brother-in-law got ill in New York mm. City and mm -hmm. I packed up my stuff and went to go be with them. What I thought would be like a week, or so it turned out to be two months where I supported him and my sister and my niece and his parents and my mother in all of the things around the end of his life. So I really just, I saw the, the end of his disease. He'd been sick a short while. Uh, he was only sick six months from diagnosis until when he died. But it was, uh, you know, he packed a lot of punch in those six months. And I'd like to say we together packed a major punch in the last two months of his life. Nice. Yeah, that was uh, the first one. You know, it's so interesting too because I have this saying where I say that some people um, have had the you, the most living in the last six months of life than they have in thirty years. And why is that? Do you think? Because they I thought. Think, it, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, it's because once they start to see that the end is coming, they're just trying to get it all in. Well, they also get real. You know, yeah. we get we really get grounded and focused, and we take away all the nonsense and. We're not living consciously, we're not living grounded, we're not living presently. And so when you hear people say, oh, that cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me, you're like, how could someone ever say that? But because it put them in touch with who their true authentic essence yeah. might be, and there's bonds with family. Now, this isn't always the way it goes, but a lot of times it is, because guess what? Time's up. Yeah. You know, you see that curtain. Um, so, so again, if we lived with that awareness before we got that terminal diagnosis on the regular, how much more rich would our lives be? And very, very different than I feel the world we live in now if we actually were like, oh, it doesn't, we're all the same. We're all going to experience this and it can go well. And also maybe what I'm focusing on is entirely the wrong stuff. So really kind of interesting stuff that we learn. So that's beautiful. So tell me what you have been doing in the last year or two, because I know for the death movement and what's happening on my side, and then we'll talk about the organizations we're in, um, it is going lightning speed. And it's great because it's, you know, in a time that the world is obviously really challenged and things are, this end of life movement, this bringing back the human component to caring and presence and holistic, um, is something that's beautiful and so positive. So 
what has been going on, you know, on your side of things, the feedback that you've got, did you hit a lot of resistance when you first came out or were you already, you know, were they already hearing about the death doula and everyone was kind of like so cool and open to it? No, I had a lot of resistance. <laughs> I had a lot of resistance. I had a lot of, why would you want to do that? That's not necessary. We already know how to die. Um, don't talk about it. This mm -hmm. is morbid. I mean, gratefully, I didn't get any what's wrong with you, but I did get family members saying that's, you know, the occult or... Oh, that's tough. Don't address it. We don't talk about death. You don't want to bring it on. And I was like, it's coming whether or not I talk about it. Yeah. 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 And talking about it certainly isn't making it come any quicker. So mm -hmm. I hit a lot of resistance. But then, you know, it started to wane. And I think that as people started to see that this wasn't a fad for me or something that... I, I wasn't just like interested in and going to get over very quickly. Uh, those close to me started to soften. And then I think in the softening created a louder voice. And that louder voice has just kept getting louder and louder and louder where now, I mean, everywhere I go, it was this way at the beginning also, like I mentioned when I mm -hmm. talked to someone at the party, but now it's just everywhere. Like I had this long, beautiful conversation with a woman in Trader Joe's, the cashier yesterday about dying and yeah, through she decided she's going to start working on her reflexology practice. And I was like, go get it, girl. You're going to die. Get it. Hello. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Yeah. yeah. I might not make it home tonight. You might not make it home tonight. All right. This is a perfect time. Exactly. And I, you know, that's just such an interesting thing because when I was a hospice nurse, I remember coming home one afternoon and I was living upstate New York in Rhinebeck um, and it just beautiful, gorgeous day. And I remember taking my dog around the lake, which is one of my, you know, most beautiful areas. And it was so quiet, no, nothing going on. And I remember coming, walking, and there was like a car coming up, like a country car coming up. And at the same time, there was a car coming this way. And this car had gone over the line. This one had a swerve out of the way. I was right over here with my dog. The guy sped off and the other guy stopped his truck and he goes, you almost got flattened. Wow. And it was so weird because I have to tell you, Alua, there was not a peep in this area and it's just it you just never know so we don't want to ever diminish somebody's experience when they're older or people that are ill that's not what we're saying but there are no guarantees and one of the main regret of the dying patients because they've done a whole bunch of studies so the number one regret of dying patients is that they wish they had the courage to live the life they know they were meant to live and I think we have to pay attention to the wisdom of wonderful people before they leave, because they do impart a lot of knowledge to you. And for us to say, stop, go get, go follow your heart, whatever that means. And when you began this interview saying, I didn't feel this wasn't fitting right. And may, you know, I thought I hated my job and everything. It was like you weren't in that alignment with what you were supposed to be doing. And I'm sure that the minute that you, you said you came back from Cuba when the, like the puzzle just was started fitting and you were like, you were so inspired. And that, that feeling of alignment with your universal purpose is just magical. Um, and it can be anything. It can be any calling anything. you have, but honor it. Cause we all have a calling. It is anything, you know? It it's is anything. anything. It might not necessarily be work. You know, I, I talk to young people all the time that are mm -hmm. like, I want to find my purpose. I feel lost. I don't know what my purpose is. And I'm like, well, let's pause. 
because purpose is this very big, big thing. And if you're like trying to find the thing, it can be very overwhelming for some people. And so rather, I just suggest that people constantly follow their bliss. What is the little thing that's exactly. making you in this moment? It could be the smell of the flowers. That doesn't have to turn into your purpose. What it's makes you happy? Thing. What lights you up? What feeds your soul? You know what I mean? Yeah. Anything. It could be anything. 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 But once you find that, it's like the piece of the puzzle clicks and you are connected to everything and it's the best feeling in the world. I so agree. I know, yeah. So we want to encourage people to do that because life is so short yeah. um, that we don't want to be on our deathbed with regrets. So yes. So, you know, resistance, but now it's exciting because it's open and it's becoming more and more open. I feel again, when you look at the mainstream medical system, and the struggles that that has and that isn't that ironic though that we live in a country that has you know such advances and um, all these treatments and all that stuff and yet our medical system is so fragmented because the care and health care has really been you know removed and not because these people don't want to do it not that they're not amazing and beautiful and wonderful because they're giving them so many patients with so many tasks to do within that short little window that it's almost impossible for them to spend time at the bedside with a patient and you know that end of life as well as i do takes your presence in fact your presence can be the most powerful medicine of care that you could ever give. And so right now we don't have that. So that non-medical professional, the doula, the holistic model of being a doula for end of life is a perfect fit. We have 78 million people over 65. We have a shortage of doctors and nurses and our system is struggling. You bring in that adjunct of a non-medical professional to guide that family, to work with those people. And all of a sudden you have this amazing care model. Yeah. One thing I've noticed too is that since I, when I walk in to work with the family, since I am removed emotionally, at least, yeah. I'm, not, yeah. I'm not in the thick of it, I can see things far more clearly. Absolutely. Not just talking about what's going on with the body or emotional or spiritual, Everything. but also a lot of the practical things. You mm -hmm. know, there's a big stack of newspapers in the corner that mm -hmm. nobody's looked at for 10 years it's probably got to be handled at some point. What are we going to do with it? You know, I see that you really like to collect things because I'm walking in for the first time. I can get an impression of what's going on in the home and then and support them in handling those things either before or during or get clear on what they need to work on after to ease this already very challenging time. Yeah. And having that, 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 um, the distance, the bird's eye view of what's happening is I think, probably some of the best support that I can give to people in that time. So let's focus on that because I think people really, again, are wanting to know what that role of that end of life duel looks like. And when you, again, are coming into a situation with no attachment, with it's nobody you know. So it's interesting because you're coming into a very um, you know intimate area of somebody's life and they can be in crisis, usually are. Um, but when you are, again, not under that stress because Death is the second leading fear in the United States and a lot of other places as well, but the second leading fear, most of hospice care, 75% of hospice care is done in the home where people want to be, by the way. So mm -hmm. nine out of 10 people want to die at home. That's nine out of 10. We as hospice nurses come in and manage the care of that loved one, that dying patient. 
but we also are teaching or trying to teach the people there, the loved ones, the family, how to actually do the care. There's a big breakdown in that because the fear is so palpable that you know you can't learn when you're under duress. And also, I'm not there for a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's a, it's a very frustrating model right now. But as you said, when you come in, and this happens all the time, that you see things that the family can't see because they're in it. Mm-hmm. Even to the point, Alua, that I've come in and people have been in so much pain. Yeah. And the family just couldn't, they didn't, they were so overwhelmed with stress and checked out, they couldn't even you know, figure out to give medicine or, or not or whatever. It's just not fair. So you bring a doula in that can sit and guide that entire family on this journey holistically, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. It's unbelievable. And walk them not only to that death, through that death, but even afterwards to help them with what they need to get in order. Which brings us to a great place about talking about planning. And I feel like you're, and you're going to share what your deaf doula training is comprised of. But I feel, again, when people want to be end-of-life doulas, and I love that. I love that you want to be an end-of-life doula. It's such an important piece. I said, if we're going to change the culture, though, if we're going to make a shift with end-of-life and elderly, we have to start by way back here talking about end of life being a part of life and planning Absolutely. and planning. So what is your whole feeling on that? And then why don't you share a little bit about your amazing training? Well, you basically said it all that we need to plan and prepare for the end of our lives mm-hmm. so that we can, I mean, for so many different reasons, not only does planning give us a little bit of peace of mind, some people, many of us want some type of control and granted it can't actually Uh, confer that control, but it can give us some insight into the things that are going to need to get done and perhaps what our values are and basic things. I mean, whenever I sit with somebody to do any end-of-life planning, they often learn that it's really supportive for them right then and there. And here's a very benign practical example. We write down the major passwords for their accounts. Mm -hmm. People that are not using uh, account management systems like mm-hmm. LastPass often mm-hmm. refer to that document when they're trying to get into one of their accounts and they can't remember what the password is. Well, we already wrote it all down. Yeah. And so it's a very, it's a, that's a very small benign thing that can lead to much bigger conversations. Like when I'm talking to people about their desires for, let's say, burial or cremation or something, and they think that they are not ready to have conversations about spiritual spirituality mm-hmm. and they mentioned something like well I don't want to I can't think of myself burning that's a clue that they think of the body and the self as one mm-hmm. not that one mm-hmm. is better than the other but that's a clue to me mm-hmm. which is a foray to begin talking about those other things mm-hmm. so it's always been I mean planning for it for me, is the gateway for a lot of people. I mean, some folks will come in and say, I'm scared to death. I want to do something about it. Other people say, I think I have to get my stuff in order. Where do I need to start? Or what do I need to do? So I walk them through a very comprehensive document that I created with a bunch of nurses and doctors and lawyers and financial planners and estate planners and boy, hospice folks, like everybody looked at this document to make sure it was as comprehensive as possible to cover all the major areas that are much easier to handle after it makes things much easier to handle after a death if yeah. it's filled out beforehand. So that's a major yeah. part of my practice, which is something that I teach in my course. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's a major part of what I teach because for me, I mean, A, it's been the thing that's allowed me to build a capable business in a relatively short amount of time, in addition to being bedside and being with people that um, know what it is that that they're going to be dying of. But it's also like it to me it's the it's the gateway it's the it's the way that we can begin having this exploration it's the way we can start having this conversation granted some people come and or call and they say we've just been told that we might have a a week left in that case there's a lot of stuff that's got to be done yeah but i'm also having you know 35 year olds that just had their first kid and have been married three years that are like i want to make sure that my stuff is in order so that it's not going to be a nightmare for my kid or for my husband or whatever else. So it's like, it's a way for us to begin looking at death, no matter where we are or where yeah. we think we might be along the way, which I find really useful. Yes. And again, I love that we're all part of this. Nobody's yeah. exempt. Nobody. You know, it was so funny. I was talking to this wonderful John Leland from New York Times one time. And I said, at the end of our talk, I said, you know, um, they say that death and taxes are the only two things that are guaranteed. And I said, some people don't pay their taxes. A bunch of people don't pay their taxes. Well, let's hold on there. Don't name names. No, I'm kidding. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I want to go back to your planning for a minute. And I just want to comment on that because if you don't plan for yourself and you don't make your own choices, it goes into what I call deep. Somebody else will be. Somebody else will be going through your items. Somebody else will be choosing what they think you might want or how you want to be remembered. It's such a mess. And also, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give your loved ones by doing it, having that in order, because they will be mourning you, your death. And then on top of it, if they have to worry about all these items and things which they normally do, it doesn't allow them to step into the grief in a healthy, in starting that process in a healthy way, because they have all this other stuff to take care of. Um, so if you're, if you're worried about yourself, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give that your family, but I always love it because it allows you to choose what you would want. And there's so many people that will remember you or say things about you that you might not describe yourself that way. So why not have it your way? If you want pink and you want, you know, music at your um, ceremony, however you want it. And also I think that people don't understand the options for after death. There's a huge movement now, you know, we're taking all this back into a beautiful space where you can have a home wake and you can have a home funeral. And that doesn't mean a backyard burial. Um, It just means again, a natural way. And it is really catching on in the sense, but people don't understand that they have that option. It is environmentally really friendly. It is, um, they say for the grieving part of it, it's really important spiritually or grieving for everybody. And it is um, financially. So much cheaper. So much cheaper. So it's a win, win, win. And I love win, win, wins. Um, But people didn't know that they have those options because guess what? We're not talking about death. So if we're not going to have this conversation, how do we even know what's out there? So I love, thank God that you're on this platform and that you're doing it. Um, So your training has that great document in it and you train death doulas. So tell me about your training. When is the next one? Um, Whatever you'd like to share with people about that. Well, I started off by saying that my training actually does not have the document in it because it's really important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to me that my students learn for themselves what's important. 
I will talk big picture about the things that we should look out for and how to do it. Yeah. But I found that the process of creating the document brought up a lot more questions in me and makes me so much more effective in sitting with clients. And so what I've done is give them all the tools necessary to create their own document. But I think mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I think that students learn best when they are doing, right? If I could tell them how to do it all I want to, but they're going to be far more effective at it if they <laughs> get to practice it and figure it out. See one, do one, teach one. That's what they say with learning, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I can, I can I explain yeah. plenty. And then at some point you've got to go and do. Um, and the feedback that I've gotten about that is that it works very well because that means that they are then having to think through all these things. How do I best phrase a question? Test it out on a few people in their lives. If I just gave them my document, well, then they'd be off and running. But let's let's do it in a way that actually connects with the, the student. Okay, yeah. I love it. Let's expand on that because, you know, this is different than anything else you will probably ever do this type of work. And I have worked with over a thousand people at end of life and their families. And there is not one death that is the same as exactly. another death because of all exactly. the very, so you, this is not something you're going to learn in a textbook. Yes. Are you going to learn information and things for sure, but you have to know Absolutely. how to connect and how to ground and how to be listening to your intuition and, and being a great listener. I mean, I love that. There is so much to that. And yeah, you have to get outside of your comfort zone. Um, doulas are incredible. They're being called forward. There are some, obviously, that don't have a lot of experience. They're getting that. It takes time to get experience, but yeah. they've got it. They've got to do that and get themselves out there. And they have us on the back end to support them with support. questions and to, and to be there. Yeah. Um, I, yes, I love it. Get those birds out of the nest. I love it. Um, let's talk about the organization NIDA. Sure. We, we are both, at, well, I'm a founding member. I'm actually the present vice president, which is really nice. It's an amazing organization. And you are a board member on this year, which we're so excited. It is a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. You know, Nita was born in California when we were at a meeting with NHPCO. And we were all the doula trainers and people were there and, and the heads of NHPCO. And we were talking about what's the next thing? This is like two years ago. What is the next thing we need to do to make this work? So I'm going to share with you a bit of my perspective on how that was born and the importance of it. And then I'd like to hear what you think. Great. For me, working in hospice for over 10 years and oncology and end-of-life patients and then coming up with this doula concept and this doula training, people loved it. They said, oh, sounds beautiful. We get it. When I approached organizations, hospitals, hospices, they say, we get it. We understand. We need that. But what do you do? And how do we know what you do as doulas? Um, because there's no licensure for it. It's not a government licensure. That's a good thing. And it's not a good thing. So why is it a good thing? It's a great thing because we're not going to be sitting there as doulas and documenting the whole time on the visit and having to see a ton of patients crammed in because then we would just fall in line with the rest of the healthcare system that's not meeting that need of time. Presence, we need to be there and grounded. Um, that's the good thing. The bad news is, is that there is no overhead scope of practice. So I have met doulas and there are so many amazing doulas. They're coming from different trainings or diff and not even from a training. Maybe they have this gift, but a lot of them do take trainings. Um, and the trainings can be extremely different in their curriculum. All wonderful, all needed. But the danger is that I call myself 
a death doula and I walk in the door and I might do X, Y, Z and like a bunch of different things. Another family has, has heard about me. They have a dying patient. They call in their local doula. The doula is a vigil doula or, you know, and so they're, they're upset. They said, what do you mean? You don't, this is not what we heard about. So that gets a little bit scary. So then again, for healthcare and hospices to say, we can't, we can't recommend you or refer you yet, they are now, if we can't articulate clearly what that role is of an end-of-life doula. Well, there you go, NIDA was born. And what NIDA is, is the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance. So it is a nonprofit membership organization for all the doulas in the country. In fact, last night on a webinar, people from other countries were asking if they can join NIDA. And I was like, sure. Yes. You know, absolutely. Answered, yes. I actually asked. The yes. Answer is yes. Yes. You can and you should, and then um, because it's so incredible, and so the the you know these amazing people got together and put all of their information together to make a scope of practice that can represent the end of life doula from start to finish, and they have a assessment that the doula can come and take and get a national badge, so that yes, if you are Anita. You have a NIDA badge that you take in your assessment, no matter where you are doing your doula training, people know you're walking through the door with a certain skill set. And then they said, now we can refer you. Now we can use you. Now we can go ahead and go to that second, third level. Um, and so that was, that was the birth of NIDA. And boy, is it a force to be reckoned with. So why don't you share your perspective on that and the importance you know, or how you feel about that national badge and is it needed? Yeah. Similarly, I feel very similarly to you. I, mm -hmm. you know, I've been sitting here growing my business and doing my work, not quite on my own because there are people that I talk to and I got trained through mm -hmm. Olivia Barham at Sacred mm -hmm. Crossings here in LA. Mm -hmm. And so I've had community, but I was just going out and doing the things that I thought important. And as mm -hmm. I mentioned to you before, Oftentimes I'd walk in the door and see a bunch of things I need to get done. Yeah. Um, the family thought that they were calling me in for one thing. And then I get there <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh my gosh, there's so yeah. much, you know? And so yeah. I've been building a practice that looks like vigiling, looks like bedside. Mm -hmm. It looks like mm -hmm. natural death care. It looks like educating and options. It also looks like end of life planning, but also looks like let's make sure that everything's in place now. So there's not too much to worry about later. Let's make sure that the bank accounts are in the right names. Let's figure out what you want to get done with the cars. So my practice looks different than what I think a lot of other end-of-life doulas offer. However, yeah. there is a base core competencies, a base core set of skills that we all, I'm going to say should, I shy away from that word generally, but there is a base set of skills that we should all have. Some of these things are add-ons. Some yeah. doulas I know offer aromatherapy or a massage therapist. So they have that mm -hmm. added thing, or Reiki. Mm -hmm. They have mm -hmm. those added skills that I don't have. Yet it doesn't take away from their core abilities to walk in and to be able to provide for these clients. Absolutely. And I love that because I think that you need to know that we're walking in with our gifts. Yes. You know, you're, you're an attorney. I mean, God help, you know, that's wonderful. And, you know, me, walk, yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> Bringing in that knowledge. But I mean, I, you know, I, and I love that, you know, death doula to, from attorney, it's like, oh my goodness. Um, yeah, but you're bringing in that wisdom Everything. and that knowledge. I'm bringing in my nursing, my whole background of being at the bedside and seeing so many different scenarios from a nursing perspective. So it's heavy duty on 
man, I talked about disease processes and decline and it, like all of that. And so I always say when you are going to pick a doula training and there's so many beautiful, know the curriculum, know what you resonate with. Because know um, who's you teaching know, you. Oh, you need to know, know the curriculum and you need to know who's teaching you. And, yeah. and you know what? You feel it. Just like we feel being in alignment with this work, you feel a gravitation towards a trainer and a kinship and all that kind of wonderful. So I love that you do that. And I love that you talked about, but we have a core foundation of yes. skills that we should all we should be all walking have. through the door with in order, not that it devalues anyone. We're not no. trying to do that. This is so inclusive. This NIDA and this movement is so inclusive just because if we do not represent it in that way, it won't be able to go to the next few levels that it needs to. So we need to have the trust of the family members, of the hospices, of healthcare organizations. And the way to do that is by having that scope of practice and NIDA assessment. So we want everyone to definitely check out NIDA, which is nidaalliance.org. Um, absolutely amazing. The assessment just opened up, so it's an exciting time. Anyone can take it. Again, completely inclusive. It's it's beautiful. And it's fun to take, actually. I really enjoy it. And it's fun. It. She's saying it's, saying it's fun to take an it assessment. Okay, yeah, I know. I know, right? <laughs> Overachievers yes. are us. No, it's good. To take because yeah. also I got to... Like it was, it was the first opportunity I had to sort of test my knowledge and my skills mm -hmm. against what everybody else is doing. Mm -hmm. And what I found was that I do things the way that Nita thinks that we should do things. And so I felt great when yeah. I was done. Of because it, yeah, it was like the first time I was like, oh, wow, this is how it's actually supposed to be done. This is the way that I've developed it. This is the way that I teach it. And yeah. here's confirmation from other folks that have been doing this work a long time, yep. folks that care enough to put this together. Uh, so being on the board has been such a, it's been such a treat and a delight for me um, because I, I love communing with you guys once a week to, or once a month to talk about this work and where we're moving this toward. Yeah. Um, but also it's just really nice to see my, my vision uh, yes. alive in a bunch of other people. Yeah. Yeah. It really, yeah. And I mean, when I, and I've been doing, I was a founding member and I've been doing it when I look at the website and I look at, I mean, I am so blown away by the people that came forward and everyone was invited. Every doula trainer that was, you know, leading the way and being a voice, you know, was asked to be part of, you know, this. And I think that's extremely important. And then putting their, donating their time to create one of the best standards for a national assessment. It's just, you know, it's going to be the future that people are going to want to know about, do you have your NIDA badge within yeah. the doula? And so for me, my projection is, is that the doula in healthcare will be the fitting area in all of healthcare. It started with end of life. It's, now it's, it's, I'm dialing it back to elderly, but it's going to the, the non-medical professional of that doula will fit into any area of healthcare, um, which is going to be incredible. So there are going to be standards and NIDA is going to be looked at and represented as, you know, one of the main benchmarks in that. So it's really exciting. And it's great to have you as part of it. It's a force to be reckoned with that board. Um, You're pretty <laughs> cool. It really is pretty cool. It's exciting. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Terry Daniels um, last week. And so I want to talk about the Afterlife Conference that you're going to be taking part in in June, right? Yes, in June. Okay, so what are you going to be doing for them down there? I'm going to be doing mostly <laughs> uh, preparing for death. 
okay. uh, whatever that looks like. We're going to talk about some practical things. We're going to talk about the emotional. We're going to talk about the spiritual. We're also going to talk about some physical. We're going to talk about disease process and signs of approaching death. And we're going to workshop death. We're going to workshop approaching death. And then uh, Taryn Estes is going to do the second half of the workshop. And she's going to talk about natural death care and um, caring for bodies at home, I believe, and ritual. Yeah. Beautiful. And yeah, when is that November conference? Spectrum. That is in June, June 6th through the 9th, I believe. Yep, yep. you're yeah. correct. In Great. Utah, in Utah? In Utah, in Salt okay. Lake City, yeah. But before that, I have a bunch of fun things going on. Yeah, let's, and let, so I wanted to mention that, but let's talk about what you have going on. And then Great. we can- Great. In March, I'm gonna be in New York City at the WOW Festival. Um, and also back to Memorial Sloan Kettering Hospital nice. um, for a week-long series. And then in April, I'm going to be speaking at ADEC um, about the role of the doula, which I'm very excited about. ADEC is the Association of Deaf Educators and nice. Counseling Professionals, I believe. So I'm going to be talking about the role of the doula and expanding the role of the doula into other healthcare settings. Um, at April 27th at the Compassionate Living, Compassionate Dying Symposium in Sacramento. Mm -hmm. In May, uh, I'd have to check my calendar, but there's something in May. And then in June at um, the Afterlife Conference, uh, October. Yikes. And then in December, definitely I'm at Edwell. In December 2009, I'm speaking at Endwell, which I'm very We're, we're going to put up your website information okay. that people can go and see your whole calendar. Um, when is your next doula training? The doula trainings are happening all the time. There's a self-study okay. option because they're available online. Okay. So there's a self-study option that's always available. We're constantly Perfect. taking applications for it. And you must apply yep. in order to gain access. And then the group... Uh, the groups are once, it looks like every three months, we just started a group in early February and they are rocking my socks, let me tell you. We have another group that's starting probably in June. Um, I'm capping it at 20 students. Um, I had about 48 the first time around and this group is 20 and it's a nice size. Everybody's yeah. working well with each other, learning, digging in. Um, yeah, we're currently looking at our own dying and the next week we're gonna start considering um, hospice and the art of medicine, as I call it, for nice. the next, yeah. So just to clarify, if it's a, it's a self-study course, um, but you put them in groups at a certain time period? Okay, I'm glad you asked. Yeah. There is a self-study option where people can work on their own track, do their own thing. There okay. are the videos and exercises and assignments yep. are yep. released weekly. However, in the group setting, it's mm -hmm. not self-study. We are all together. Everybody watches their videos on their own time. Mm -hmm. And then they engage in the discussion forum by Thursday. And okay. then everybody is responding to each other. I'm in there giving yep. feedback and asking further questions. Okay. We have periodic live chats. Uh, we're going to do them about mm -hmm. once a month or a little bit more frequently. And then I'm also in communication with my students regularly about what they're experiencing, what's working for them and what isn't. Perfect. So the group, yeah, the groups are where people end up getting a lot of feedback and engagement and interaction mm -hmm. yeah. with each other and also yeah. with yeah. But for people that don't want to work in a group, they can sure. also choose the self-study. Okay. I'm glad we, cle we cleared that up a little bit. And you're, when you do the groups, is it a once a week class that you're meeting or? It's yeah. a once a week uh, commitment. What? You watch the videos on your own time. Yep. Yep. And yep. then you engage in the discussion. Yeah. And then you come in for and the. And how long is the program in totality? 12 weeks. 
12, okay, perfect. It's a 12 week program. And let me tell you, I learned from the last crew that there was a packed a serious punch for 12 weeks. <laughs> well, you know, there's, there's a lot to this and yes, it, yes, it's a good subject. Okay. So we're going to put all that information up where people can find you. Alua, Arthur, what do you want? What are your hopes and dreams for the future? Anything that you want to share in this? Um, yeah, you know, you can share whatever you want, definitely for this work and what you really hope. And I know you're involved in some other things as well. Um, what, what would you like to see happen? What is, what is your intention and a vision? Hmm. My big picture intention is that everybody live with the awareness and presence of death. The practical parts are that everybody has a solid end of life plan. And by everybody, I mean everybody over the age of 18 mm -hmm. has a clear, concise, comprehensive, written end of life plan. Also, that they're every single family, every person that's dying from disease process here and abroad work with a death doula, somebody to support them through the process. Also, that we, we engage with life with the urgency of death mm -hmm. to allow us to live presently, to live authentically, to live joyfully, and to live wholeheartedly. And I think those things are my basic intention and my hope for myself in this world and also for all of us. And I think death is the doorway through which we do that. I love it. Alua Arthur, you are a gift and I am happy that you are my friend and my yeah. peer. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Suzanne. This has All been right. fun. Thanks guys. All right, everyone. Thank you for this being on this edition of Ask a Death Doula. My name is Suzanne O'Brien. I will see you in the next episode. Thanks everybody. Thanks for listening to another episode of Ask a Death Doula. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a raving review, subscribe, share, and send your questions. See you in the next episode.